Today we're gonna be talking about a subject that I think is fascinating and not talked about enough, and that's moral injury. Now I know for myself, that I had had a past relationship and even once a past work experience where I was asked to do things that went against my morals and my values. And when we do, it can cause a moral injury. Now this term is actually most used within the military. That's probably where it's most seen. So I brought in Lisa Kelko and she is perfect for this because she's retired armed forces and she's also done a lot of work around military sexual trauma. So if you've ever been in a position where you felt like you've been forced to do something that goes against your core principles and it's left you hurting, let's welcome Lisa. All right. Well, welcome back, Lisa. I thought you were perfect for this, given your background in the military. Because when we talk about uh, moral injury, I know, I think everyone can relate to that, um, that you're in a situation where you're forced to do things you don't necessarily agree to. But what I want to talk about is how it affects us in our daily lives in terms of our workplace. I mean, I know I've been in a position where I was asked to do things at work that I did not agree with or even in relationships. So, so why don't we unpack that and maybe explain what is moral injury? Well, and I'm so grateful you introduced it because oftentimes, as you said, we think about moral injury as primarily relating to folks who've experienced some sort of war or some sort of trauma in the context of first responders or um, military service members. And, and, you know, what is super fascinating about unpacking moral injury is it can be congruent to PTSD, and it can also be something that stands alone on its own. And, you know, when we're looking at moral injury, what we're looking at is, is a distressing, you know, psychological behavior, social, and sometimes spiritual assault or something that we've been exposed to. Um, an event, something that's happened that witnesses or sees something acting outside of what we feel is our, our values and morals. And so really what, what we're seeing is when we see something that we feel like we're powerless to change or we're powerless to really do something about, or we're asked to act in a way that we feel like is in conflict with our own values. And that's one of the reasons I'll say, even working with acceptance and commitment therapy, I've seldom met an unhappy person who's living a life of their values. And so when it comes to a moral injury, it's like we've been asked to do something that does not resonate with our values in a really strong and profound way. So it's not like we're just saying like, oh, you know, well, my boss asked me to go take out the rubbish and my value is that, you know, I'm going to be um, in charge. And, you know, power is a big value of mine. And I got in this big power struggle with my boss. And therefore, I feel this moral injury around needing to take out the rubbish. It's not entirely what we mean when it comes to a moral injury. It's usually something that is more uh, a significant transgression or a more significant event. I'm not meaning to dismiss that sometimes we may have had a bad boss or something that may be um, really difficult and very demeaning. However, moral injury is something that is more so when someone has crossed a line that ref that kind of disrespects deeply held moral beliefs we have. And so we see this across the range in so many workplaces, i.e. Um, nurses, for example. When the COVID crisis came and we had you know, the vaccine requirements, 
we saw a lot of folks who really struggled with that and not to make this a political debate about vaccines, um, but rather to acknowledge the hurt and, you know, the experience that many folks had around that because it was something that felt like it was incongruent with deeply held beliefs or values that they had. And how did that translate? And so that's where those pieces could have felt like they were, you know, being asked to participate in things that may have felt incongruent with what they believed for themselves. So what would some of the signs be that we would say, is, we would see, is it like PTSD type symptoms or? Yeah. I mean, you know, the interesting part about PTSD is that it does cross over. And so we're looking at moral injury and PTSD. They often begin with an event um, that can feel life-threatening or it can feel harmful to themselves or others. So folks experiencing, like I said, vaccines, you know, in that case, although very serious, um, you know, again, if somebody felt like receiving that might put them at a threat to themselves or they might be put at a threat to others that could fall within the range of being a moral injury for some folks. So anybody is in a situation where, um, like say a first responder, there they might be fighting a fire. Uh, Police, for example, might be trying to contain a riot. And, you know, they might, in the act of doing so, hurt someone that they didn't intend to that can create a significant moral injury. It can also kind of fall within that realm of PTSD where there's an event that's happened and they were either hurtful to someone else or, you know, at risk themselves and, you know, went against what they deeply believe their morals and ethics should be acting in those situations. When we're looking at the difference between say a moral injury and PTSD, one of the core kind of components is that they're both really laden with guilt and shame. Those are core features to both PTSD and moral injuries. We also know that there can be a betrayal or a loss of trust, you know, and those types of things that are core again to PTSD. However, there is a difference between the two. PTSD often includes additional symptoms of hyperarousal. And we don't necessarily see that as being central to a moral injury. So somebody who's experienced a moral injury doesn't necessarily have to have that same hyperarousal experience. We also know we could treat, say, the post-traumatic stressful event and or symptoms relating to PTSD as a disorder. So, for example, if we're treating PTSD, we know we might be able to resolve the specific events that are triggers um, to the disorder but people may still struggle with symptoms of the moral injury congruent to that. So we see them as kind of part and parcel um, when we're looking at these things. And we can also see them as separate and independent. And so we could treat the PTSD and they may still struggle with a moral injury. We'll oftentimes see this even referenced in, um, you know, a lot of healing spaces, like working with clinicians or other sort of um, healthcare professionals is a vicarious trauma. It's not always necessarily the vicarious trauma, um, because sometimes it could be that repeated action of, you know, being asked to do things that are outside of what they feel is morally within their, their scope or morally within what they believe is a human being. And that's where it's really hard because we have to get real and vulnerable with what are my beliefs? What are my values? What are the things that really matter to me? And bringing that forward in our therapy work to say, I feel like this is a transgression. I feel like this is something that 
I've had to betray. And so for us to get vulnerable with our team means that we have to feel safe to know that they're not going to judge us. And that is a really, really difficult place to be when we're already struggling with all of that guilt and shame that I said at the start is consistent to both PTSD and moral injuries. And and I, one of the things I really love about Nomina is that it's making mental health accessible for everyone. So what about those who can't necessarily tap into professional therapy? How, what are your tips for dealing with that guilt and that shame? I mean, and this is a really, really hard part because we know when we're trying to help deal with that guilt and shame, as you said, we may not be able to access professional services. One of the first and foremost things is we want to start to get real with our trusted people. They're going to be the folks who are going to help us litmus test what our value systems are. Is this acceptable within our value systems? Is this something that we want to maintain or perpetuate? And we also want to be able to look at that ourselves and say, is this a value that is important to me? So sometimes it can just be about opening up to whether it be a clergy person, a close friend, um, in recovery circles, it may be a sponsor, you know, just people who are there to really help call us on our shit and be like, "Mm -mm, is this something that you did because you wanted to, or is it something that you did because you had to? And that's where we again go back to the idea of, you know, is this in alignment with who I am, who I want to be as a person? And if not, then how can I change? Before we can get to that place with our trusted people, we have to be safe to open up. That can be really, really challenging because that's one of the things that will prevent people from being successful in overcoming a moral injury. A lot of those fears around, is somebody going to judge me for what I did? Is somebody going to, you know, have um, this experience or oust me from the social group because of what I did. Um, You know, they're going to be, they're going to have these big feelings or they're going to be disgusted by me or they're not going to like me. Social comparison is like one of the deaths of, you know, moral injuries because we don't want to share. We don't want to really be honest. Honesty is one of the central tenets to being able to help you navigate your moral injury, both with your mental health professional and or with your physician, with your psychiatrist, with your pastor, with your person, really knowing that there's somebody who can hold space for you with the pieces you're navigating and vet check, is this amount you want to die on? And I will often say that, you know, like I'll have to check in with myself and be like, is this something I really feel very strongly about? And if so, then how can I reconcile that? Looking at my career in the military, there was a lot of times where I had to look at my actions, my decisions. Some of them weren't the best. Some of them I really look back on and think like, wow, I I really wish I could have done that differently. And knowing that in that moment, I might have done the best that I could. It doesn't make it easier, but it's about acknowledging, you know, okay, how can I change the decisions I make moving forward? How can I make amends? How can I start to be an example of living my values in a way that really honors who I want to be? Because I can't change yesterday. I can accept today and I can try and do better tomorrow. But right now, all I have is today. So right now I just try and be and live the best way I can today. Yeah, no, for me, it was slow and sneaky that um, I just, it was eroding over time that it, that the, the work that I was doing was not meshing with my values mm-hmm. and that the people were not people that I wanted to be aligned with and they weren't, it, it was awful and uh, took the chance and 
I'm here with you now, Lisa. Right? <laughs> yeah. And living my passion and my purpose. And, and it was the good, solid people in my life that helped me to really sit back and reflect on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, there's so many elements, though, that we also see that come out when we have that really deep guilt structure that comes from a moral injury. And so as I was saying earlier, you know, we could treat the PTSD, but we may not treat the underlying moral injury if we haven't really attacked the guilt. And we will see that oftentimes, even let's say folks coming through substance use disorders or treatment for substance use, where they're like, I don't like the person I was or the way I behaved, and I don't meet the criteria for PTSD. But they may meet the criteria for having a moral injury because maybe over the course of their substance use, they behaved in a way that is not in alignment with how they want to see themselves. And so if we, if we acknowledge that, what we're really trying to treat is the guilt, the guilt that's underneath that says, I don't like the person I was. And we can sometimes see that like, I'm just, I'm never going to go back. It was a substance that was a problem, you know, and yet they're still stuck in that space of, they don't feel like they're worthy. You know, they can get clean. They may be able to overcome not using substances, but those feelings that are inside of them that keep creeping up, that guilt that's underneath, they're going to not allow any of those positive benefits. They're not going to allow for those good things to happen because they don't feel worthy. Thus, treatment is going to be ineffective. Thus, they may fall back into the underlying behavioral response to it, which is returning to substances, because then at least then we can kind of do something. And so I always like to really normalize the fact that we want to treat that guilt. We want to treat that because it's not, you're not a bad person. You know, you may have made shitty choices. You may have done difficult things, but you're not a bad person. I mean, in all of my time, I've worked in both residential treatment and even as a clinician, the number of sociopaths, like genuine sociopaths that I've seen is quite low. The vast majority of folks are really just hurt people hurting people and they don't intend to, or they're struggling and they just want somebody to help them do it differently, but they don't know how to ask for that help because they're so guilty or they feel so guilty about how they've behaved, thus the moral injury. So we want to just sit with that. We want to get honest with that. We really want to unpack that and we want to help folks start to move through that. I'm also going to just, you know, kind of acknowledge that when we're trying to treat moral injuries, it's not just about, like I said, first responders or mental health professionals or even veterans. I mean, all of us can experience that. Um, you know, all of us can experience, you know, maybe having made a decision that doesn't feel in alignment with who we want to be. And how we react to that is oftentimes the part that kind of um, carries forward our, our injury. It's like, you know, I'm acting in a way that's not in alignment with my character, trying to make up or hide for the fact that I've done this horrible thing. And sometimes we can see it come in the form of what we call overcompensatory behaviors. I.e., you know, the person who's like really demonstratively trying to do all the good things, like show you how great they are. And they're like, I'm going to buy you this and I'm going to do this for you. And I'm going to show you how amazing I am. And you're like, it doesn't feel authentic. It feels like it feels kind of creepy in a way genuinely that's our spidey sense thing if we believe somebody's being dishonest we're going to reject their behaviors or we're going to kind of recoil and, and self-protect i see this often even with couples who experience you know where one party might experience a moral injury and 
you know, kind of linking this even to some of our sexual health work um, or even sexual trauma work, when we've seen folks who have experienced a moral injury and let's say they had a hyper arousal sexual response, folks say coming in after a firefight or some sort of traumatic event, you know, I do, as you know, doing a lot of work even with military service couples where, you know, they had this arousal response that doesn't make sense to them intellectually. Their moral injury has now started not necessarily from the firefight, but from the sexual response that's happened because they're like, I feel so guilty. I have this sexual response, which biologically is just a sexual response. The pleasure they might get post it fuses with this traumatic event and then therefore creates this, this mental process where they now have a hyper-stimulated, hyper-arousal template. They want to then start acting out on that or they don't feel worthy of the intimacy, the close connection of their partner back home. They may start to act outside of their relationship. Um, they may start to seek out other sexual encounters and or other sort of um, other intimacy and that is now exacerbating the moral injury because they're not acting in alignment with the person they want to be because they don't feel worthy of their intimate partner. When we start to peel all of that back, it's not necessarily about the infidelity itself. And it's not even that these folks are necessarily sexual addicts. They're just folks who have experienced this moral injury. They've now got an arousal template that's confused with a traumatic event. And they're acting that out or replaying that in some ways and or not safe to actually share that with their intimate partner. And so they're just, they're engaging it in other ways. When we can start to kind of look at that and see that without judgment, we can start to repair and rebuild. Having that communication, having that opportunity, walking through that with our partner or a person, our team, and saying, this is what happened. And I really felt so guilty about the fact that I had this reaction. And we can say, you know, it's okay. That is a natural physiological reaction to a high stress environment. How can we help you move through that? But if we're not talking about it, if we stay stuck in that place of fear of judgment, then chances are we're going to stay stuck in our behavioral responses. I'm going to link that video that you did on military sexual trauma after this for anyone that wants to binge watch and learn a little bit more. because that, <laughs> that was a great video. Yeah. All right. Well, anything that you want to add in closing? I think, you know, the important pieces for me in terms of in closing is just really to be curious when we're looking at moral injuries, especially, you know, for folks who are struggling with that guilt and shame or those adaptive behavioral patterns, it's really about being curious and knowing it doesn't need to be PTSD in order to qualify as a moral injury or to impact you. And in fact, like I said, many of the criteria are very the same. They cross over um, in many ways. And I know a lot of folks who get really hung up on the, I don't meet the criteria for PTSD, or my doctor said I don't have PTSD. And the family system is like, what have you seen? Like, do not know. Like, how is that possible? And that can feel really disconcerting. You know, when we're looking at that, it could be a moral injury. It doesn't mean that what you're experiencing is not real. The other thing that I will kind of carry forward to that is, you know, in some cases, even when we're looking at our first responders or our military folks, one of the things I would spend a lot of the time doing is explaining that although it might not meet the criteria for, say, PTSD, 
it doesn't mean that it doesn't meet the criteria for what is called an occupational stress injury or OSI. And that can come in the form of many different places. It could be a broken foot. It could be a depression experience. It could be a moral injury that is resulting in hyper um, hypertension or other sort of mental health disorders. One of the common, common symptoms, or I should say like a very common symptom of a moral injury is severe, consistent, persistent depression. And so for clinicians watching this, my hope is that, you know, if you find somebody you're working with who may say have treatment resistant depression, pausing and getting a bit more curious of what are their values, what are their experiences? Maybe they've had an experience that has created a moral injury and, you know, we're just not acknowledging that. Or maybe the person would really benefit from seeing that in a space of saying, yeah, this thing happened you were asked to participate in a way that didn't feel in alignment, that sucks. And that's maybe what you needed to do in that moment. And that's okay too. How can we help you move forward? That's really the big piece. It's not about ignoring our past. It's not about saying, I'm going to futurize. It's about bringing it back to present and saying, okay, let's understand why you made the decision you did, what you're doing now in terms of the way you're reacting or acting, how can we help you move forward in a way that is in alignment with who you want to be, how you want to be seen, making different choices and or not having you be in a position where you need to make that choice again so that we can help insulate you or protect you to know that you're empowered to make different choices. Thank you so much, Lisa. It is always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. I appreciate it.